It's WNRI's Upfront. The opinions expressed represent those only of the panel and callers and do not reflect the views of WNRI and its owners. Telephone lines are now open at 7690600. And now, let's join the Upfront panel. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another Upfront program. This is our Thursday uh, edition of it. I'm Roger. And um, what we're doing uh, this week on the program is... Uh, Getting to uh, know what's going on in the General Assembly, both on the Senate side and the House side. And uh, one way to do that is to ask people who are from the General Assembly to come in and talk about what they do on a day-to-day basis. And so we've been doing that. Uh, we had uh, Tuesday Jessica De La Cruz, and she talked a little bit about um, her um, agenda and uh, some of the uh, Republicans uh, who um, are in the uh, Rhode Island Senate and what they're thinking about. And that was an interesting uh, program. And then we uh, chatted yesterday with uh, veteran Senator Roger Pickard and uh, got his uh, thoughts on uh, not only legislative matters, but uh, Roger's a little philosophical. So I can ask him those uh, questions uh, like uh, who's uh, who's taking over, uh, the progressives or uh, are the moderates uh, being able to uh, maintain uh, some decorum there? And uh, he had a great answer. And also uh, some perspective on the budget, too, that's being proposed. Today, we welcome uh, a um, legislator who we've interviewed a number of times over the years. And uh, he's still in the legislature. Why are you still there, uh, Brian Newberry? Uh, I mean, do you like it, uh, like Roger Pickard? Yeah, I was about to say, I think anybody that serves up there, if you don't enjoy the experience, you shouldn't be there. That's Mm -hmm. the first thing. Um, secondly, my constituents have sent me back multiple times. Um, you know, I've a lot of people in my district obviously are happy I serve there. So as long as I enjoy it and they want me there, I'll continue to serve there. However long that may be, I don't know. When did you get in? 2008. Mm-hmm. And uh, back in 2008, uh, you were a little bit younger and a little less experienced. What were you thinking about in terms of public service? You got there and then here it is, 2023. There must be uh, some philosophical uh, observations you can make about uh, entering the House then and the way it looks now. Well, it's funny. I certainly didn't think I'd still be here in 2023 if you told me that in 2008. But uh, I, I thought your introduction about Senator Picard and uh, whether he thought the moderates or the progressives were taking over. If I were going to make one overarching um, assessment during the time I've been there is that the Democratic Party has changed radically. Um, what, the Republican Party in Rhode Island is a whole different story. We know it's, it's small. It's not very effective. There's a lot of reasons for that. But when I got elected, the majority of the Democrats were, I would say, centrist or even right of center. Um, that's no longer true. The Democratic Party has changed. In, it's changed nationally. We all know that nationally. I mean, look at someone like presidential candidate Bill Clinton from 1992 or 1996 would get 1% of the vote in the Democratic primary today. Um, but that change took a while, like a lot of things do, to come to Rhode Island. It's come to Rhode Island. Um, people who, when I got elected, uh, people like, say, uh, Rep. Sagello from uh, Providence and Rep. Handy from Cranston, just to name two people who are still there, who I, I like personally a great deal, by the way, but philosophically we don't agree on a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. They were, at the time, the leftmost uh, fringe of the legislature, leftmost fringe of the Democratic Party. And now on many issues, they haven't changed, by the way. But on many issues, I wouldn't say they're the center of the Democratic Party, but they're just left at the center. Um, there's a whole new group of people have come in. They're self-styled progressives. I mean, the, the best way I can sum it up is this. The majority leader of the Democratic caucus of the, of the House, 
uh, Chris Blazewski, when he was elected in 2010, two years after I was, was seen as the herald of a new generation of progressive left-wing legislators. He's now the majority leader, and he got primaried by the left last election because he was perceived as being too conservative by the left. Mm-hmm. Now, he, he survived the primary. But I think that little nugget, in a nutshell, tells you how the government of this state, the legislature, has changed. Over in the Senate, um, where you're not, um, it must be, uh, <laughs> when I think of guys like Dominic Ruggiero and Roger Picard, who have been there such a long time, and a couple of others, uh, too, th- this must be, you know, like... How do how do I survive? How do I survive here? Or, or maybe a test of their patience, because I I uh, I don't know uh, what they're thinking behind the scenes with some of this uh, uh, behavior in the Senate. Well, you know, well the behavior in the Senate is sort of interesting to watch. I'm not going to single out some people. I think we all know what we're talking about. There's yeah. A few senators over there that have embarrassed the state on a national level with their antics. But um, in the House, we haven't as much of a problem with behavior. Mm-hmm. Although there's a few people I can think of, but. Um, you know, people who are leaders of legislative caucuses, by definition, are survivors because they have to adapt to the people. No, they have to stay in power. They have to. They have to yeah. keep this, the confidence in the people. Put them there, and um, you know, people like Nick Mattiello. He, Nick Mattiello got beat by a Republican, not by a Democrat. Uh, Nick survived for many years, and I saw uh, Nick's view. I don't know if his personal view shifted, but certainly the types of stuff that he was um, supporting started to change. Uh, I see someone like Dominic Ruggiero, and I, I, you know, I don't know him really well because he's a Senate president. Obviously, I know him. I don't, you know, I'm not close to him or anything like that. But you can just see that the the positions that he held um, many, many years ago. It's not that maybe his personal opinions have changed, but certainly the tenor of the, the stuff that comes out of the Senate is changing, and that reflects the changing priorities of the people who get elected. Um, but yeah, I wouldn't want to tolerate some of the antics in the Senate either. I don't know how to put up with that, but not my problem. Talking about uh, particular pieces of legislation now, um, I um, was listening to another talk show with uh, Senator uh, Melissa Murray, and uh, and she was uh, somebody had brought up that piece of legislation, uh, and it's House legislation too, to give um, uh, undocumented um, people living in Rhode Island or illegal aliens, as we used to call them. Um, Permission to vote in a local election, not uh, state elections or federal elections. Anyway, Melissa basically said that's not going to go anywhere. But the point is, that kind of legislation, I don't think, would have ever been thought of been introduced 10 years ago. And it, uh, to me, shows the kind of stuff that is uh, being introduced. And, and when Jessica was here uh, on uh, Tuesday, uh, she said, you know... Yeah, probably I won't get too far, but uh, five years from now, I'll probably be the state of the law. Well, other than the fact I think it's probably unconstitutional, I agree with that. Um, look, that's exactly right. I wouldn't say it wouldn't have been introduced 10 years ago. But the difference now is it gets introduced, it has multiple co-sponsors, and it gets publicity and coverage. You know, one of the things that I've always been a little bit critical of the press in, in the state, and I don't think this is unique to Rhode Island. Well, let me get the dump button here. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> No, but it, look, I understand that in press coverage, sometimes you have to, to cover things because they make, they make good copy, as they say, right? Mm-hmm. And one of the good virtues of our legislature is any rep can introduce any bill that does anything, no matter how stupid, all right? And there's plenty of examples of that over the years. Um, and sometimes I think 
someone will introduce a piece of legislation and everyone else will literally, behind the scenes, roll their eyes and go, come on, it's not going anywhere. But it'll get public attention and so on. But it really shouldn't. It takes up oxygen in the media from stuff that's more important. Mm -hmm. This is not one of those. This is something that's being introduced all over the country. Mm -hmm. And I agree, it's not going to pass this year. But yeah, a couple more election cycles, a couple more of these progressive Democrats get elected, and next thing you know, it could very well pass. And again, I don't think it's actually constitutional, but put that aside, could it pass? Could it get the votes? Yeah, it could. Not now, but they're there. And I've said this, I hate to sound like a broken record, Roger, because I'm looking at you since you say you're still a Democrat, but you know, this state, I mean, I grew up a Democrat too. The Democratic Party ain't what it used to be. It's not what it was 20 years ago, never mind 40 years ago. Um... There's a whole new generation of people taking over the Democratic Party, and, you know, you can, you can play the, I'm going to be an independent, you can play, we're going to have three multi-party systems, that's all well and good. But if you don't like the way the state is going, people need to stop, either stop voting Democrat, or at least understand that just because they have a D next to their name doesn't mean they're the same as the other guy or other woman with a D next to their name. Pay attention to the positions of people. Would you believe me that as a Democrat, I stay a Democrat? First of all, I respect to my mother. Uh, who was, uh, uh, she just loved John Kennedy and, uh, and also uh, uh, all the Kennedy family. But when you're a Democrat, at least you can vote against Democrats in primaries, you know? No, actually, if I weren't actually in office, I would have disaffiliated and voted the Democratic primary for governor. So I get, no, I get your point, but I'm talking about the November elections. Uh-huh. Yeah. I just know so many people who, and, and look, the Republican Party nationally has its own reputational issues and all that. I've I always said... I've always joked about it. It's not that I really like the Republican Party. I just really don't like the Democratic Party. I have to pick one, right? Um, I think you should vote for people on a candidate-by-candidate, issue-by-issue basis. But in this state, it's so over... Half of the state is so overwhelmingly Democratic. It's very hard to elect anyone but a Democrat and maybe half the legislative district. So if you don't live in one of those... If you live in Woonsocket, Woonsocket could elect a Republican. And we have an independent now, right? You could a lot of and a lot of the Woonsocket Democrats are, are really Republicans in disguise. We all know that. At least they're right of center. People who live in areas that are swing areas need to start paying careful attention because the progressive candidates are even running in, in, in those areas as well. I mean, I, I see some of the people get that get elected from districts, and I'm like, how did this person get in office? But you know. Lack of quality opposition is a big problem. That's a fault of the Republican Party. But it's also a fault of people don't want to run for office. I mean, it, it's a problem. You know, they really don't. And I, sometimes they don't blame them. It's part-time legislature. People work. A lot of I remember one candidate I spoke. I'm not going to say what district or where it was. It wasn't up here. I spoke to one candidate this year who was considering running as a Republican for the legislature. I met with him in person with uh, Leader Chippendale, minority Leader Chippendale. He and I had, had lunch with this guy. We thought he'd be an excellent candidate. And had he run, I think he would have won. I mean, we'll never know for sure. I think he would have won. His employer, I'm not going to name them, but they're a well-known company, wouldn't let him run. They didn't want him to run. One of my other colleagues um, who I served with, had to, again, he had to retire because he was trying to switch jobs. And nobody wanted to hire someone because he was in the legislature. And he was one of the most effective people up there, whether you agree with him or not. He was very good at the job. That's a problem. If you're a business owner, big or small, and someone wants to run for office, let them run for office. Obviously, they have to do their job. But you can do both. Isn't that a shift in mentality uh, on the part of companies uh, that at one time they encourage employees uh, to be in the legislature because you've got, an internal, uh, you've got some internal uh, help there, and now we see a shift away from that? I don't know if it's a shift. My whole tenure there has been a problem. I mean, we have 13 members of the, of the House that represent all or part of the city of Providence. And almost every single one of them 
is connected to the city either by employment, contracts, or whatever. There's nothing wrong with that, but it's not a coincidence either. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. They're all connected to the public sector, or almost all connected to the public sector in some fashion. There are a few exceptions, but that is not an accident. And as long as the public sector, the unions, and all the public sector employees encourage their people to run, and they do, the private sector is always going to be outgunned when it comes to legislative initiatives. And what that does is it opens up the, the other thing is it opens up the door for activists. You know how many people I serve with? I, I did a count just before the last election. You know, people say there's too many lawyers in the General Assembly. You know, I'm a lawyer. There aren't that many lawyers in the General Assembly, believe it or not. I think in the House, number of people with law degrees out of 75 is like 10 members. And they're not all practicing. That's rough. I might be off by one or two. But people think it's overwhelming lawyers. It's not. What it is is overwhelmingly people who work for either retired from or work for the public sector or nonprofit groups, which are private entities funded by the public sector. Mm -hmm. That is the majority of people who serve, and many of them are very good people. I'm not saying those people shouldn't serve. I'm not being critical. But when your legislature is dominated by people from those groups, it's going to slant policies towards uh, what those groups favor. No, what those groups favor is not always what's best for the state. You know, I'm writing down a phrase you just used uh, that um, I have to remember, uh, describing nonprofits as private entities funded by the public. Well, that's exactly what they were Yeah, well, you know, yeah. It, that's why it, it struck me. And, you know, I'm thinking of, you know, like uh, Community Care Alliance here in Woonsocket. Uh, and they exist. They're a fine, fine organization. But when I think about it, um, there are a lot of people that work there. And so much money comes in from the feds and, uh, and the state yeah. to uh, run their operation. Well, think of the... You know, one of the many scandals we've had over the years. Remember Ray Gallison? He was the chair of the Finance I, Committee. I do remember him. Prison. Okay. Do you remember what he got in trouble for? Because he was employed by, ostensibly, a nonprofit that was funded by the, by the government. And I, don't, I forget the details now, but basically he was skimming money or something. One of the, one of the jokes at the Statehouse for years has been that if they need to get somebody a job, they get a job at some nonprofit entity. That gets most of its funding from the taxpayers. Mm -hmm. But that's the reality of it. And by the way, many nonprofits do a lot of good work. I'm not trying to bash nonprofits. It's just no. that not every not all nonprofits are not created equal. You know, the YMCA, for example, is a long-serving United Way. These are these are long reputable organizations. But there's a lot of quote unquote nonprofits out there that no one's heard of. They have you know a few employees, and you got to question what they all do. And you'll find they often have connections to government officials. So when we come back from the break, are you going to name them all? <laughs> I actually can't remember. There's too many of them. But, we, but the Gallison one's a prime example. I mean, that's, just say something that people remember. That's mm -hmm. something we actually saw. Don't think that was unique. Uh, if you're just joining us, uh, we are always enjoying our uh, visit with uh, Brian Newberry. He'll be back after, though, we uh, talk to uh, Steve Casey uh, in a coming show and and uh, also Bob Phillips in a coming show and Melissa Murray in a coming show and and a few of the others uh, in the area. And um, and so, uh, let's get to Rhode Island Tree and Landscape, all right? Do you have trees on your property needing attention? Winter time is the right time for an assessment. Call Rhode Island Tree and Landscape for your free estimate. With over 40 years' experience, they're certified operists and fully insured to give you peace of mind. They're a full-service company offering tree removal, pruning, trimming, stump grinding for commercial and residential customers. Call Rhode Island Tree and Landscape in Rhode Island at 401-276-2828. Or in Massachusetts, call 508-399-7773 for your free estimate. 
The name of the business, All Tech Painting. We've been serving the Massachusetts and Rhode Island community with top-notch painting services. We want to be your one-stop shop for interior and exterior painting, plastering, drywall repair, power washing, wood staining, and so much more. And we do all this with the promise of 100% satisfaction using quality materials and the finest product you can be proud of. That's the kind of company we are. Have any questions or want a quote? Call 401-378-7765. All Tech Painting of North Attleboro. Ready to serve you at 401-378-7765. Skilled craftsmen, ready to work for you. Let's meet for lunch or dinner at the Roast House. Their menu offers something for everyone. Seafood and chicken, roasts, steaks, and chops. Appetizers and their rotation of the heartiest soups in the area. Open Sunday through Thursday, 1130 to 9. Friday and Saturday, 1130 to 10 p.m. Now, here are some of the delicious choices awaiting you at the Roast House. Yeah, they have a nice uh, luncheon menu at the Roast House, and I've got it in front of me. And uh, I'm always drawn to my favorite, the... uh, the uh, tuna, uh, tuna wrap, but um, I'm not going to do that today and let you know that there's something else on the menu, including the uh, open, hot open-faced uh, roast beef or roast turkey sandwich at $8.99. And um, it comes with a uh, grilled buttered roll and one side of your choice. They got great coleslaw there. It's made it fresh every day. And also uh, you'll find uh, a big deli pickle spear sitting in your uh, sitting in your plate. It's uh, the Roast House for lunch right here in Woonsocket. All right, one more uh, advertisement. The Honey Shop in um, Woonsocket, 1300 Park Avenue, up for Park Avenue. Spent a little time. I was in a doctor's office yesterday, so I was um, waiting for the appointment, and I spent a little time looking at the Honey Shop uh, Facebook page, realizing that if you enjoy cooking or food, you will enjoy some of the upcoming seminars that they're going to have. Like, for instance, um, April 1 and 2 at the the Honey Shop at 11 o'clock in the morning. One's a Saturday, one's a Sunday. Mediterranean cooking class. Mediterranean cooking, very healthy uh, cuisine, so I'm told. And you can learn how to cook it Saturday or Sunday, April 1 and 2 at the Honey Shop. 11 o'clock sessions. How about um, how about making Italian um, Italian Easter bread? Right. Well, we have a a little seminar coming up on that on April the eighth, um, and that is a Saturday. Two sessions: one at eleven in the morning, one at three in the afternoon. It's making sweet Italian Easter bread at the Honey Shop. And then for those who love um, Asian cooking, well, we're going to be doing an Asian cooking class. On Saturday and Sunday, April 22 and 23, and we'll show you uh, how to uh, put those uh, spices uh, together, uh, you know, using the cilantro and and, uh, and also some of the other uh, things that season up Asian cooking. That's April 22 and 23. A couple of more just things I want to mention. April 15th, we have a pasta class, and uh, April um, 16th, uh, we're going to show you how to make um, Italian... Um, Italian cheese over at uh, the Honey Shop. So if you're interested in any of these, uh, first of all, go over to the Facebook page and check out a little more detail. The Honey Shop, 1300 Park Avenue, and um, they'll be more than happy to uh, sign you up for one of the classes. You're listening to WNRI's Upfront, a radio internet talk show. Now, let's get back to the panel. 
How are you doing over there, Representative Brian Newberry? I'm doing very, very well. Nice to have you on the show. Um, I want to ask you a little bit about uh, maybe a few pieces of uh, legislation out there. First of all, the budget. And um, when uh, Jessica uh, De La Cruz was chatting with us the other day, uh, she, when the State of the State address uh, took place uh, from McKee, she did the uh, State of the State, I guess, rebuttal and introduced that 5% uh, concept of uh, the sales tax. Senator Pickard, when I asked him about it yesterday, he said, you've got to be realistic. Uh, you've got to do this incrementally incrementally even though the average taxpayer would save 43 bucks a year which is the way to criticize it he said uh you know to cut it it would be 28 million dollars he said that's a good hunk of change so you got to be you got to be uh like uh realistic about this so where do you stand on it so i hate to sound like a politician well but, sound like but, one but they're both right mm-hmm. um you know one of the things I, I have noticed in politics over the years and this isn't some unique observation i'm making is one of the ways you affect change, good or bad, because <laughs> change is a neutral concept, uh, is you push the Overton window on things. You make big proposals um, that maybe people say, ah, it's too much, too much, but it puts the idea in people's heads, and then you start moving toward it. I mean, that's what we did with the car tax repeal. You know, people forget, everyone, I, I know Speaker Matteo, former Speaker Matteo, I take credit for the car tax repeal. He deserves credit for it, but people forget it. It came about because we Republicans actually had proposed it as a budgetary amendment, just to wipe the whole thing out in 2016, my last year as minority leader. And, of course, it got shot down in the floor debate. Oh, it hasn't been looked at. And then that fall during the campaign, he came out with the let's repeal the car tax and phase it out over time. And that's exactly what happened. Uh, if you're going to cut the sales tax, yeah, doing it incrementally the way the governor's proposed seems a little bit silly, frankly. But if it is the start of a reduced tax plan over the years, that's a good idea. I, it's, this has long been forgotten now, but one of my co Democratic colleagues, the uh, I forget his title, floor manager now, the former Whip Jay Edwards from Tiverton, he and I are good friends. And back in 2010, or no, 11, the beginning of the 2011 session, he had put together legislation I co-sponsored with him to reduce the sales tax, I think, from 7 to 4%. Now, I would have broadened it to cover other services, but the idea was it would definitely reduce the entire thing. And then Governor Chafee came out like a week after we introduced that bill and undercut us completely with his plan to reduce it by like, you know, one, one whatever it was, some tiny percent, and expand it to millions. And people hated the idea, and it got lost. Um, if you're going to reduce the sales tax, you want to aim for a bigger reduction. If you can get people thinking each year we're going to bring it down a peg, that's good. That's why I say they're both right. Would I love to see it reduced to 5%? Yes, I would. Um, do I think realistically, politically, that can be done in one fell swoop? No. But if that gets people thinking, okay, we'll do it to 65 this year, 6 next year, and so on. And that's entirely separate from the question of whether the sales tax is the best place to aim our, uh, to aim our fire. I think you can debate that. I, I, you know, there's other taxes. I think, I hate to say... Um, I always say it about former Governor Chafee, it wasn't that he was wrong about a lot of things. He just couldn't communicate anything. He had a way of taking a good idea and, and arguing in favor of it that would turn you against it. Um, but he was right when he used to focus on property taxes as a problem in this state. I, I would like to see us focus on reducing property taxes. The car tax was a property tax. That's one of the reasons people hated it so much. I'd like to see us find a way to reduce property taxes. But either way, we're, we're overtaxed in this state. We've got to find ways to bring down the cost for taxpayers. So in the end... Will we see a reduction in the sales tax based on the conversations you're hearing among your colleagues? Typically, any governor's budget proposal, particularly if it's a governor of the same party, they're going to get their priorities. Okay? So, McKee, the governor, has put several priorities in his budget. 
he is going to go to the legislature, and this, these are ongoing private talks over the course of the springs. You know, it won't pass till June. And he's going to insist on what he prioritizes. And in exchange, he's going to give on things the legislature prior. That's the way the process always works, particularly when the governor is the same party leadership. So if he prioritizes a cut in the sales tax, and it sounds like he's going to. I was just at the Northern Round Chamber breakfast on Monday, and that was the first thing he was talking about. So I'm assuming that he is prioritizing that, that, that element. Then I would say, yes, we're going to see a cut, a small cut. That's my prediction. Six point. Eight five or even uh, maybe six point seven five. Well, I know it's six point eight five proposed. The number's going to depend. Don't forget until we have the final revenue estimates. And here's the other thing: what do people want to spend money on? Mm-hmm. You know, that, that the bigger picture with this budget, the bigger issue with this budget, and something I agree with the speaker's Karchi on completely is we have this surplus, but it's kind of a phantom surplus. It's it's a one time thing because of COVID money, and um, it'd be foolish to spend it in a way that causes us more long term obligations. We have extra money this year. It's not going to last. I think we should find a way to use it to reduce our structural deficit. Or if you don't want to do that, spend it on one-time things that need to be done that are not going to incur long-term obligations. So the, the final numbers will answer your question about the sales tax. If you just popped in on 99.9 or 1380 AM, Brian C. Newberry is with us. State Representative, District 48, Boroughville, North Smithfield in the studio with us and we're chatting with him about uh, government. We're going to hit a phone call here, see if somebody has a question or a statement. Go ahead. What would you like to talk about? Yeah, good morning, Raj. Good morning, uh, Brian. Good morning. Uh, the, uh, yeah, I mean, this, this nonsense with a, with a slight reduction of sales tax. Just give us the money that you stole from us when you closed the credit union down and increased it by a percent and held the money for 20 years thereafter. I mean, that's very simple. I understand what what the nonsense is in the General Assembly because they said it was supposed to be after the credit union uh, bill was paid off uh, that uh, the uh, that we would uh, revert back to the old tax the old taxation and of course that was a big lie. Thank you, Colin. Any comment, Mr. Uh, uh, he's, he's Newberry? Right. I mean, that's one of the things that the, after when DEPCO and the, the credit union crisis hit, mm-hmm. the sales tax went from 6 to 7%. And the promise made to people was that it would go back down to 6% was paid off. Of course, by the time that promise was, not the promise, but by the time the conditions for the promise were fulfilled, you had a whole different group of people in government. And the government was already used to the 7%, so they didn't do it. And that's the story of government. That's why you really can't, it's not that you can't trust a politician to fulfill a promise they make now that has to be fulfilled next year. But whenever you hear a politician promise, oh, we're going to make these savings over the next 10 years. Remember, those people aren't necessarily going to be there in 10 years. That's why you have to lock things in. Like, for example, that law should have been sunsetted, in my view. Should have been, if, you, if they really meant that, they should have said, okay, we're going to raise the sales tax at 7% now, but it's going to sunset in six years. And if they didn't pay off the debt in six years, they could always renew it annually. But by not sunsetting it, it made it easy for future people not to touch it. So uh, I've got a nice, uh, safe house to go to every night, and so do you. So, of course, uh, homelessness and also affordable housing. I got a good interest rate on my mortgage. It's not an issue to Roger. However, if you look at Dan McKee and uh, uh, his administration, it seems to be all they're thinking about is homelessness and, um, and affordable housing. However, uh, I was just wondering uh, just... Um, uh, what your thoughts were on the whole approach to A, affordable housing, B, homelessness, and, and somehow I, I'm starting to see the two of them come together in some strange way. 
his uh, Rep. Newberry on that. Well, those are two issues that sound like they're related, and they are a little bit related, but not really. I mean, most of the homeless, I think we know, have other issues besides inability to afford housing. That camp that was outside the state house, I mean, that, they had needles out there. They had, I mean, there's, there's just a lot of substance abuse and mental illness. And that's always been the case with chronic homelessness. That's not new or unique. Um, affordable housing is a serious problem in the state. We don't have enough housing. Uh, people say, well, the state's population hasn't changed. What do you mean we don't have enough housing? I think a big part of the issue is, there's a, is the size of households. You know, it used to be you could have a family. Oh, you could you still do this. But you'd have a family. You have the grandparents, the parents, maybe four kids all living in the same house. Well, the four kids now all grow up. They all need their own houses. Maybe one or two of them get divorced. They, they need a new house, new apartments. So... As the house, as the household size has dwindled, the number of need, the needed housing units has increased, even though the population has not. Um, it's very expensive to build in this state. There's a lot of hurdles to go through. Um, every town, and my town's no exception. I mean, North Smithfield's guilty of this. We're all guilty of this. Every town has gotten NIMBYism. I mean, try to build. A, there's a housing development. I've been trying to build off Douglas Pike in North Smithfield, I think, as long as I can remember at this point. It's been tied up for various reasons for, for a decade. There was a lawsuit against the town. I, I filed a bill to settle a town lawsuit. Not, it wasn't my decision to settle, but the bill had to be done to effectuate the lawsuit the town had agreed to. I filed that bill in 2000, I want to say 16? I mean, it goes back at least a decade. And they want to put in single-family housing. Now, maybe the neighbors don't want it. I understand that. If you can't even build a suburban housing development in a town, how hard is it to build affordable housing? There's another area in North Smithfield on Great Road. I remember reading about five years ago. It was before the pandemic. Right across from the Little General at the old, there's an old Tupperware. I think it's an old Tupperware building there on St. Paul Street and Great Road. Mm -hmm. There was talk about putting in affordable housing there. And I don't know what happened to that project either. It's just sitting, I don't know the details of it, but like that seemed like a good idea to me. If you're going to have targets, you've got to put affordable housing. That seemed like a perfect place to put it in North Smithfield. And here we are in 2023 and the site is still empty. It's a real problem in this state. It's hard to build things. It's expensive to build things and we need it. I don't have a simple solution to this. That's why there's a, there's a commission that's been meeting regularly for two years now. Um, and some of the legislation we passed last year I think was good. Some of it I think was um, developer friendly uh, so we say. But uh, we do need to do something about it. I mean, people can't afford to live here. Listening to your uh, statement here, it, it sounds like, uh, I know you don't, I mean, you were talking about North Smithfield. It just sounds like a lot of communities are, uh, are pushing against it, even well, though uh, somebody, somebody is talking for it all the time. Well, let me, let me, let me I'll call out some communities, because here's the thing. <coughs> there's, a, there's been in place for years a 10% threshold. 10% is not that high. Mm-hmm. And the definition is a little bit, you know sketchy too and what's affordable housing Uh, the two communities I represent one of them is one of the only six towns in the state that's Boroughville that actually meets the threshold in North Smithfield we don't meet it but we're pretty close where's Barrington where's East Greenwich where's some of these wealthy these places that pontificate and virtue signal about the need for affordable housing but God forbid you build something in Barrington or East Greenwich or North Kingstown or Portsmouth where are they on this? How about they step up to the plate and do something? About 15 years ago, we built an affordable housing complex in the middle of Slatersville. I remember at the time, I wasn't even off it. It goes back before my tenure. It was pretty controversial among people in the neighborhood. A lot of people didn't want it. And, you know, again, nobody wants it next to them. I understand it. But you know what? That complex has been there now since, I don't know, 2008. 
2009, something like that. I remember when it, I was in office and the ribbon cutting came. As far as I know, it's integrated very well into the neighborhood. It's, it's fine. You know what I mean? It was done right. It's to scale. It matches the neighborhood demographics, characteristics. It's to scale. And it's good for the town. It's good for the people who live there. Where's that in Barrington, East Greenwich, et cetera? Where are these people that they love to talk about the need for it, but step up to the plate and do it? That's, that irritates me. It really does. I want to ask you about um, about the environment uh, a little bit. And so Cal- we're using California as the opening of the discussion by 2035. They, every, you know, every car in California. Cal- well, that's where I'm. No, it's a pipe dream. Right. It's never going to happen. So every car in California supposedly is going to be an electric vehicle. Now that's the, uh, and, and that's Brian in, in the background saying, no, nah, it's not going to happen, so on and so forth. Okay, so now. Let's uh, go right across the country to Rhode Island. We have some goals set here in Rhode Island by our We're not uh, gonna meet those environmentally uh, friendly uh, governor. So let's talk about um, where we're going with gasoline cars, electric cars, and the environment. Uh, so you say it's not going to m- move as quickly as possible. Where, where do people think electricity comes from? And we can talk about wind and solar all we want. We're in New England, okay? Right now, I look out the window here, and I see some clouds, a little sun. I don't see a lot of wind. I mean, look, wind and solar are great. If we can power everything off wind and solar, that'd be wonderful. Except, by the way, you have to actually manufacture the solar panels and the wind turbines. And you got to get the elements for those. And uh, you got to figure out what to do with them when they, when they need to be recycled at the end of their useful shelf life. But nobody wants to talk about that. But you're not going to power your entire electric grid with wind and solar. It is simply not going to happen. So it's all well and good to say we're going to get rid of gasoline-powered cars and have electric vehicles, except then you have to have an electric grid that can charge the cars. Do, do people think that electricity gets generated out of thin air by unicorns? I mean, this issue really drives me crazy. Because people, I, I've listened to people stand up and say, oh, yeah, we're going to get rid of all uh, gas-powered vehicles in you know, 10 years. No, you're not. Uh, the the, the uptown climate we passed, what was it, two years ago now? Everyone celebrated that, right? You realize what we did was we empowered. There was an article in the Province Journal, I think it was two days ago, Valentine's Day, about the looking to get rid of all natural gas hookups. And there was another related article about something else connected to it. And you can already tell that it, you're not going to meet these goals. Why are we setting goals that are obviously not going to be met? Should we do things to try to clean up um, uh, energy production? Yes. Would it be good to wean ourselves off fossil fuels? Yes, it would. Maybe we should build a nuclear power plant in Charlestown. That'd be good. Why don't we do that? We'll go talk to the people in South County and see if they want to build a nuclear power plant down there. They got the land for it. I bet that wouldn't go over too well with the locals, but that'd be a way to get cheap, clean energy, wouldn't it? That would be the way to power the electric grid for all these electric cars. And by the way, where do people think the batteries come from? Do you support slave labor in China? Where do you get the cobalt for, for these batteries? Where do you think it comes from? These people, they, 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 they want a virtue signal about everything. They, don't want, they want to put their heads in the sand. Where does that stuff come from? Because it's not coming from the United States, and that's another issue. It's an issue of national security. You may not like fossil fuels, but we have a lot of them. You know what we don't have? We don't have a lot of the elements that go into an electric-powered uh, anything. We have to import those from places that are not very nice to us, like China. So let's, let's wake up here. Well, I follow exactly what you're saying. Uh, so... If, in fact, what you're saying is true, we're going to hit a stone wall on this issue so that no matter what the environmentalists feel, they won't be able to execute it. Well, when we passed, I say we, obviously I didn't vote for it, obviously, but when we passed the Act on Climate, the big, the, the big floor debate, one of the issues is simple. We all predict, I say we and my, my colleagues who opposed it, and they weren't all Republicans, but some of the Democrats opposed it too. We all said, look, 
you can pass this law in 2021 with all these targets by whatever it is, 2030, I think. And you can do press releases and sound really good, but I guarantee you that around 2028, so five years from now, some future General Assembly that I may or may not be part of or the people there may or may not be part of is going to be changing this law because you're not going to meet those goals. It is simply not going to happen. It's not because it's not a good idea, but again, wishing something to become true does not make it true. And that's a problem with a lot of these environmental plans these days. Wishing the truth is, and ignoring reality doesn't get you anywhere. So I'll keep my gas-burning car for a while. Thank you very much. I want to talk about, before we take our next break, about uh, cooperation uh, among Republicans and Democrats. So, for instance, I'm just going to take one example. You can cite others that maybe are a better example, but uh, I'm a journalist and we're not per- perfect, as you know. Anyway, uh, Representative um, Morales and um, the House Minority Leader, uh, Mr. Chippendale, um, they're kind of co-introducing legislation to lower prescription drug costs. And, um, and that seems to be a real, you know, safe topic to talk about. Um, but uh, is there much of this going on in the Rhode Island House uh, of Representatives, uh, cooperative uh, uh, and mutual legislation being introduced? Or is this... Uh, um, Republicans versus Democrats, and you sit over there, and we're sitting over here, and we have our separate agendas. Yeah, there's always been a lot of, of uh, cooperation. I mean, I, I tell this to every person who runs for office and who gets elected, and I learned it myself and all that. I think the general public sees criticism, media criticism, and so on. I like to joke with people. We, we, like, to, we like to knock Democrats for voting with the Speaker 99% of the time. But we vote with the speaker 95% of the time. You know what I'm saying? I mean, mm-hmm. th- that 4% may be big issues that you read about in the front page of a newspaper and might get talked about on the show. But there's a lot of what goes on there that's not partisan at all. Um, I mean, I just inter- you're talking about Rep. Casey. I just He and I just put a bill on the other day. It's not the most significant piece of legislation of all time. I'm not going to bore the details, but we just put a joint bill on the other day based on something that happened in a committee hearing last week. We looked at each other. We said, this is stupid. What we fa-. So we put the bill in. No, it may, may or may not pass. What is it? Um, you can't have uh, – there's a prohibition era law mm-hmm. that says you cannot get a liquor license issued, restaurant or anything else, within 200 feet of a school. Mm-hmm. I mean, come on. It was passed in 1933 in Prohibition. There's been 62 exceptions to the law, 50 during my tenure. Anybody who wants an exception gets it, but they have to go through the legislature. I said, this is just dumb. Get rid of the law. I don't see if anybody opposes it. But my point is, that's a minor, it's a minor point, but it came up because someone was sitting at a committee hearing with the lobbyists for an hour and a half last week just to beg us to allow them to get a liquor license at a restaurant in the place they live in because it happens to be a school down the street in Providence. Mm-hmm. It's silly. Anyway. There's a lot of bipartisan cooperation up there, a lot more than people realize. The real key in any legislature, and I'm sure this is true in all places across the country, is personal relationship building. You know, people who are jerks don't get anything done. People who learn to actually play with others and play in the sandbox can accomplish things. They don't always get credit for it, but that's not the point. If you want to be effective, you have to work with other people. And people, no matter what their political persuasion, who are able to do that, um, are able to get things done for better or for worse <laughs> but depends on what they're doing but they're able to get things done and so there's a lot of that there always has been that that hasn't really changed we're going to break here let's check uh, our good friends at savini's pomodoro 
The go-to place for authentic Italian dining is Savini's Pomodoro Italian Kitchen and Bar. Over 20 Italian dishes made to order from our menu or experience our Sicilian-style pizza. Build your own while you choose from your veggies, meats and cheeses, and of course our traditional family-style chicken dinner is offered every day. Savini's Pomodoro on Rathbun Street with affordable accommodations for weddings, birthdays, anniversaries, and business meetings. Close Mondays open Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday at 4, Fridays, Saturdays, and Sundays at noon. For reservations, call 762-5114. That's 762-5114. Savini's Pomodoro Italian Kitchen and Bar, 476 Rathbun Street, Woonsocket. Inviting you to join us at our family-owned businesses, Savini's or Ciro's. Perfect for any event. Soup and salad bar now available. And Papa Savini's famous roasted chicken and noodle soup. Also available by the 32-ounce jar to take home at Savini's Pomodoro. And they'll be open uh, today being Thursday. They'll be open for lunch at um, noontime. And incidentally, uh, talking about lunch, uh, if... Uh, if Rathman Street is too far away from you, or oh, down in the downtown district at Ciro's, will be open for lunch today, too, at noontime. Savini's Pomodoro, or Ciro's uh, Restaurant here in Woonsocket. Ciro says, let's be happy again, Wednesday through Sunday, with our appetizer and drink specials till 5 p.m. $6 appetizers, including chicken tenders. $6 well drinks, including our tequila margaritas. Oh, that's my favorite. $6 sangria specials and daily draft specials at Ciro's. And then there's our lunch specials, served Wednesday through Sunday, starting at noontime. Pick a sandwich, pick a soup, and the price is $10.99. Specialty sandwich combos. Pick a sandwich, pick a side, only $12.99. Ciro's, downtown Woonsocket. Let's be happy again at Ciro's of Woonsocket. Patio open for the summer. Does your ceramic tile look tired? Does your kitchen and bathroom tile turn you off? Well, I have a ceramic genius for you. Creative Tile and Marble, located at 141 Industrial Drive in North Smithfield, is the one contract that you need to change your look. Creative Tile and Marble have a latest samples and most qualified installers to make your dream come true. If you want a polished concrete floor, Creative Tile and Marble has the men and equipment for that special look. Creative Tile and Marble can show you the latest in styles and gentlemen, make your loved one happy. Feel free to call Creative Tile and Marble at 401-769-8453. You will get the best installers in the business. So, again, call 401-769-8453. When they're on a job, they mean business, and I guarantee it. All right, thank you so very much. Got one more advertisement here before we uh, resume our chat with uh, Rep. Newberry, and that is um, right here in Woonsocket on Menden Road um, going out to Cumberland Hill Road. Nice restaurant. Here it is. The name of the restaurant is Black. It's an upscale bar and grill on Menden Road here in Woonsocket you should know about. We feature a full menu that's family-friendly, including burgers and seafood and prime rib. Black features weekly specials, healthy alternatives, signature cocktails, and live entertainment all in one place. Late-night entertainment includes trivia Thursdays, karaoke Friday, live bands on Saturday night. We are a casual American dining and entertainment venue. So what are you doing today? Come to Black at 1697 Menden Road, Woonsocket, open Wednesday through Monday. We focus on quality, value, and cleanliness. Always fresh, so taste the difference at Black Today. Check us at blackbargrill.com for details on promotions and special announcements. You're listening to WNRI's Upfront, a radio internet talk show. Now, let's get back to the panel. 
Rep Newberry and Roger here on the uh, Thursday Upfront program, and uh, we'll have him in uh, at least one more time before the session ends. So let's talk about Joe Shikachi and uh, and Nicholas Mattiello. Now, Mattiello, uh, he was kind of a hero for me getting rid of that car tax thing. I can't, I can't figure out why he got tossed out uh, when he uh, was pushing for such a uh, a good uh, piece of legislation, but I, w- I was asking you maybe to contrast these two guys. And and do you get along with the, this uh, Sashkachi guy? Uh, do you ever meet with him? Uh, he's a Democrat. You're a Republican. Uh, do you just uh, meet with Chippendale and that's it? Well, when when Joe was a freshman legislator, he sat behind me and I was minority leader, so he used to ask me for advice. So yeah, <laughs> obviously he's risen further than These I have. The kind of questions I like. No, but that's what I mean about personal. That's the kind of background yeah. I need. No, I, I like Joe. I, I, we're friends. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, I don't agree with him. And I part of the problem was about to say earlier is that when you are the speaker, and this would be true by the way, if I were the speaker and the Republicans control the chamber, when you're the speaker, in order to keep that position. What was the description? There was Bill Murphy, captain of the pirate ship. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I mean, you have to make a lot of people happy, and you have to compromise a lot of things. I, part of the reason I think back to Nick Mattiello, I think part of the reason that he lost office. Remember, he lost to a Republican. He was in a Republican-leaning district. He was an innately conservative guy, but because the chamber was shifting beneath him, he started uh, backing legislation that younger Mattiello would never have backed. And he lost, I, th- I think, he lost some of his core conservative Democrat supporters who said, well, he's no longer effective. That's my guess on what mm-hmm. happened there. That, and he had a popular Republican running against him, too. That didn't help, obviously. Um, I, 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 I know Joe pretty well. He keeps his cards close to the vest. Um, I can't tell you what he thinks on every single issue, but sometimes I think he's going to get behind issues that maybe he doesn't personally agree with, but maybe the majority of his membership agrees with, and you're going to see stuff happen. That gets to the point we opened up the show with. The chamber is shifting. The the left wing is taking over. Every election, the left wing gains more and more power in the chamber. The leadership is not left wing, but the body is becoming left wing, which forces the leadership to go in their direction. Uh, I hope I can get to this question before we end the show. Uh, uh, the question is, I'm going to pose the question before you answer it. We're going to take the call. Is there too much money around right now uh, here in the city of Winsocket? We got so much money in the Navigant Credit Union right now, and you'd think it would be spent by now, but they're not doing it. State of Rhode Island got a millions and millions, 600 million, and you'd think it would be, like, spent by now, but... I don't know why they are waiting to spend this money. Well, why do you think there's so much inflation in this country? Right, maybe we'll well, what causes answer. inflation is too much money. And that, yeah. that goes back to Washington, D.C. Yeah. So do we have too much money in the uh, state uh, well, coffers right so now? So it's kind of a loaded question because as a state legislator, yes. if Washington's going to give you money, it's your money. Let's go. It's called taxpayer. That's, we're in debt. What, $31 trillion? That's, what goes on in Washington is a whole separate topic. As legislators, I'm not going to turn down federal money, mm-hmm. okay? And we should use it. If I were in Congress, I'd have a different attitude toward what we're doing. I'm not against yeah. getting it. I'm, 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 I can't figure out why it isn't spent. Well, I agree with you. It's kind of like the whole housing secretary, right? They just fired. I mean, I'm sorry. He resigned, but we all know what happened. He yeah. was, they fired the housing secretary who no one really heard of because he didn't do anything for a year. And they have all this money allocated for housing and haven't spent it. But some of that may go back into how hard it is to actually build housing. Um, it sounds like it's easy to spend money, but with all the strings that get attached to it, it's, it's not necessarily easy to spend it. And uh, I don't want it spent recklessly either. Hello there. What would you like to ask or comment on? Uh, I want to ask, um, handicapped gas filling, 
Uh, the one I had been going to, they put up a sign they no longer can do it. And I'm having difficulty finding a garage that will put gas in your vehicle. It's hard when you're using a, a cane to manage the hose and all. So you're looking oh. for a self-service gas station? Is that what you're looking well, for? Well, it sounds like, uh, so I, I don't know what you... have accessible. In other words, is there any gas stations? Why can't a owner provide a service just to fill a gas tank? I realize it's probably management, uh, having enough people. So this is a topic that I don't know much about. Right. But I will say, I know under the Americans with Disabilities Act, places of public accommodation have to accommodate handicapped yeah. people. I honestly never thought about self-serve gas stations right. and how they would accommodate. Well, I go to one all the time, Murphy's on Social Street here in Woonsocket. Yeah, no. I never get out of my car. Yeah, they have full serve, right? Yeah, right. but they could, they charge you more for it, but it's full serve. No, I it's, it's the same. It's the same. Oh, it's the same? Yeah, there's a guy across the street. Oh, that's yeah. right. No, yeah, you're right, yeah. Near, uh, right down the street here. Right. I, I don't go to full service gas stations. So I don't really know how many there are. Mm -hmm. Um, I would. There well, must be I'm some... here in North Smithfield, and I used to get my gas at a, a, a gentleman that would serve it in Nasonville. But since that stopped, I'm having mm -hmm. everything around here is self-serve. Yeah, I, uh, I was going to say, I don't know if there's... Ex I mean, the ADA is a federal law with a bazillion pages of regulations. Mm -hmm. I wonder if they have exceptions for self-serve gas stations. I, I've, honestly, it's not an issue I've, I've really thought about, yeah. to be honest, but I... That'd be a problem well, if you can't pump your own gas and drive. close on the end of the station, so maybe you could put that on your checkup list. All right. I'll sort of look into it. I All never right. thought of that. It's interesting, though. Thank you. And I'm going to ask you to get me Thanks. the... Uh, oh, go ahead. Did you want to finish something? No, that's okay. Thank you for your call. All right. Uh, they pump it for you at Murphy's in Woonsocket anyway. No extra charge. Uh, and they do your windshield, too. I, I had it done yesterday. Um, I need to uh, talk with Stefan Pryor. Now, um... Uh, could I use that as, even though you're not, I'm not a constituent of yours, could you get me his information? I think I, it's just contact info. All right, I appreciate that. Anything you want to say before we close up? That's kind of an open-ended question, Roger. I'm not shy, you know. Right, be, <laughs> be unshy. I don't know. I think I've said all the things that I'd, I'd want to say today. I'm sure if I, as soon as we get off the air, I'll think of something else, but, mm -hmm. you know. Thank you for joining us. We'll see you uh, on the second uh rotation uh, a little bit deeper into the general assembly and uh, see where some of the bills are getting and see where uh, see where that sales tax is going that's a curious one yeah we're not going to know the answer to that till june though thank you for being here state representative uh, brian newberry on wnri we're going to hit one more uh, quick ad here from uh, kay akasha their public accountants and then we'll uh, we'll end the program today Kayer Kosher, your accounting, financial planning, tax preparation, and business consulting services of Woonsocket and Warwick. 600 Cass Avenue, Woonsocket, Jefferson Boulevard, and Warwick. Call us locally at 766-8100. Remember, outside of the tax season, we do planning for business, individuals, and families. We're Kayer Kosher. We're certified public accountants. Again, our local number, 766-8100. And remember, having Kayer Kosher to consult with on your personal financial situation is like having all the right answers. This has been WNRI's Upfront, presented weekday mornings at 8 a.m. Upfront is a regular public affairs presentation of News Talk 1380, WNRI Woonsocket. WNRI.